pre-K through five, you're dismissed. You guys can be seated. Thank you so much, worship team. Thank you so much. That was a good time of worship, wasn't it? Welcome to Revelation Rock. You want to get the lights, Nick? Thank you. Welcome to our family room. We're going to talk about some family stuff today. First off, and what a perfect song to finish worship and begin the service with. First and foremost, we are here to sing what we just sang, to lift high the name of Jesus. That's the most important thing um, in our whole lives. If we don't sing, the very rocks will cry out, the heavens will cry out. Everything around us declares the glory of the Lord, and that is our first and foremost purpose. And as believers and participants in the new covenant, we exalt the name of Jesus even higher than we would under the old covenant because we get to be children of the most high God. So there's all sorts of reasons for us to glorify the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the name of Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the chosen one, the sacrifice of sacrifice, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. That is first and foremost. So I want to get that laid down real clear before we get into our teaching this morning. A couple other things. This morning's service is... Uh, or sermon, message, whatever. It's a, little, it's a little different. It's two parts, and they might, not, they might seem a little disjointed. Hopefully, I can thread the needle to put them back together. Um, but before we get into that, I guess the first part of it is sometimes it's important to know what you're doing, and it's important to know what you're not doing. And one of the things I want to talk about this morning, what I'm trying to do on Sunday morning teachings is to entertain you. We're not trying to wow you with everything that I know and think that I have figured out, I'm not trying to teach you to try harder to be a better person. Say, well, what do you mean? No, I'm not trying to teach. That's the Holy Spirit's job. The Holy Spirit will shape you and mold you and teach you and lead you how to be a better person. That's not my job, to beat you with Scripture in an effort to make you question your standing with the Father, also not what we're here to do on Sunday morning. I'm not trying to impress you with the way that I've figured something out in Scripture. I'm not trying to impress you with my ability to deliver an eloquent message. I'm not that eloquent. We're here together as a family. Uh, what we are trying to do on Sunday morning teachings is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. This is the overarching goal of everything else. It's important, you know, as, even as we lift high the name of Jesus, as we glorify, the, if we praise and worship time in, in our service, if we do that and understand why, it will be part of our equipping. It helps us to refocus. Because right now, like maybe coming in this morning, the problems that you encountered on Friday may seem like they're close to as big as your salvation. They could be real bad problems. Maybe you watch the news. <laughs> and it's like, there's no way. How is well, when we sing and we understand the new covenant, it helps us to refocus, and it's like, oh yeah, the world may be on fire, not a huge deal in the kingdom of God. We're, it's, we're above, it's higher than that, it's greater than that. So even that is a function of this equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. Every other thing that we do, whether it's children's ministry, greeting people, coffee, it is not a performance and an entertainment show. We are not trying to, and this is 
I had some interesting discussions over the last week, and actually several weeks, last several years about this, uh, because I think that it's something has felt off, not here, but in Big C Church, like the, the church the world over. It seems a little off. Like we're, we're singing to Jesus, we're singing songs that come largely from Scripture, and we read the Bible, and that seems good, and we're trying to, we're trying to gather together, and that seems good. All this seems good, but it just feels a little off. And I think one of the reasons is I feel, and we're going to get into this a little bit later, we're not called to lure the world into the trap of the church. I figured that would go over about like that. Because this is how we, we've been, everything in Christendom for the last long time has been about getting people that don't know Jesus into the church. And while that principle, if we understand what the church is, that the church is actually made up of the body of Christ, I'm all for that. But that doesn't start by getting people in the doors of this building or any other building. Everyone's looking at, this is perfect. Everyone's like, what are, where are we going with this? Because there's a point to this. There's a very big point. We're going to look at this. Because think about this. If we shape our service we shape our building, we shape our coffee, our whatever the thing is, our lyrics display, or our music, or whatever. We shape that and tailor it. You know what a, ta- anybody know what a tailor does? Makes it fit. There we go. Makes it fit. I like that definition. A tailor, you can buy a suit, and it won't fit at all, and you take it to a tailor, and the same suit fits perfect. So if we tailor our whole function of Revelation Rock as a church, we tailor this to people who don't know Jesus. It's not going to look a lot like Jesus, is it? It's like we don't want to say anything. We don't want to do anything. What if someone would come to church at the Rock? They would walk in, and we've got, and we're tailor fit to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. What if they were weirded out? What if they would leave and never come back to the Rock because there was something, it was just strange, it was uncomfortable. It's probably going to be uncomfortable if we are accurately equipping each other to do the work of the ministry, it may be uncomfortable for someone who doesn't know Jesus. Now, I'm not trying to chase anyone off, and I'm not, my goal would not be to run someone off by being weird, but if our focus is to equip each other the saints, we are the saints. If you're here today and you're born again, you are the saints of God. If we're here and we're, our goal is to equip each other to do the work of the ministry, it may be weird for someone who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, but that's okay. That's okay. Now, we're going to get into this. What we are trying to do, as we just talked about, equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. This is the overarching goal of meeting as a church body regularly. The author of Hebrews instructs us, do not forsake the assembling together of the body. This is assembling together of the body, as is the habit of some, especially as you see the day drawing near. So that was written approximately 2,000 years ago, give or take a few decades and so we're closer to the day drawing near than they were. And the author of Hebrews was concerned about the day drawing near, like make sure. So we're that much closer. Let's not forsake the assembling together of the body. Of the who? Body. Assembling together of just people? No, assembling together of the body. Let me ask you this, church. If you don't know Jesus, are you part of the body of Christ? 
No, this is not a trick question. That's a very easy surface answer. It's, it's not hard. If you're not born again, you're not part of, part of the body of Christ. If you are born again, you are. So it's important to gather. Don't forsake gathering together of the body. Not just gathering together. How many know you can do that at the Lions Club? You can do that at the Elks Club. You can do that at Walmart. You can gather together with people anywhere. But for, do not forsake the assembling together of the body. It's really, really important that we don't quit getting together. This way, not, doesn't have to be, we don't have a template that says, one guy stand up in front and everybody else listen. We don't have that template. We don't have it laid out in scripture. You have to do that. It's the way our culture has done it. It's the way we're doing it right now. But that's not, it's the point. The important part is to get together. There's a very important reason for it. Ephesians chapter 4, if you got your Bibles, we're going to read verses 1 through 16 of Ephesians chapter 4. This is a letter Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. There was some correction, there was some instruction going on. We're going to look at some of this instruction right now. I therefore, verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 4, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavoring, which means you're attempting, trying to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, verse 4, just as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and the Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Verse 8, therefore he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Verse 9, now this he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And And he himself gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Verse 12, for the express purpose for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, We may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. There's a lot in there. We're not going to preach that in its entirety. We're drawing out. You probably caught it in verse 12. Paul says, the reason that Jesus gave us the gifts, the ministry gifts, the fivefold ministry gifts, the reason that we've been given these gifts is for equipping and edifying. Now, this feels a little counterculture because so much of what we see in Christian culture today is about trying to lure unbelievers into the church. But this mindset will cost us if we adapt it. We will operate in dysfunction and delusion, or as Paul wrote, we will just be carried away by every wind of doctrine. It 
If our mindset of being here is to shape our church, our function as a Revelation Rock body on Sundays or Wednesdays or whenever we meet together, if our purpose is to be not uncomfortable for people that don't know Jesus, we will very quickly dilute what we're actually called to. This isn't hard. This is, this is normal. This is understanding. Imagine... There's so many different metaphors that I've, that I've flipped through in my mind. This ministry gifting was given to us in the church for the specific pur- purpose to equip us, to gather together with like-minded believers and to hone our understanding of the gospel, to make certain that each of us are properly equipped to administer the gospel to the lost. Now, one aspect I want to look at. Do we understand that before you know Jesus, before you believe in Jesus, the Bible calls us dead. It says you were dead in your sins. Now, this is kind of, just think this through with me. How easy is it to lure a dead animal? It's very difficult. They cannot move. They are just dead. You can set up all the traps. You can set up all of the, you can try to get the, you know, if you're fishing, you can cast all the lures in. If it's like, that, look at that big fish. Yes, but that fish is dead. It's going to be very ineffective to lure them in. Now, we understand that the unbelievers, the people that don't know Jesus, are dead in their sins. Now, this isn't a, I'm not mad at them at all. I love them. I want them to know Jesus. But how do we get them to know Jesus? Now, I thought of this this morning because my wife and I have been talking about it a little bit. As many of you know, my wife is a nurse. And uh, there's this thing called CPR training and certification. Now, uh, there are some certifications that we get in life, like, for instance, a college degree. Most college degrees, you don't have to re-up every few years. You know, like, if you get an engineering degree, you don't have to go back to school in two years for another four years to get another engineering degree, right? Right? Understand, you got a degree, you got the certificate on the wall, and your skills may get better or worse over time, but that degree belongs to you. You did the work, you passed the test, you got the degree. But there's other things in life that require updating, that require maintenance to them. And a CPR certification is one of them. A CP, according to people that know more than me, CPR training and certification is good for two years. So you get certified to, what is, what do you, when do you need CPR? Anybody know when you need CPR? When you cannot breathe. It's like, I, I cannot breathe, and so someone has to pump your chest, and I don't know how to do it. I'm not certified. If you ever see someone that needs that and you see me around, don't waste your time with me. Find somebody else, because I don't know how to do it. CPR is needed when a person cannot help themselves anymore. Does that make sense? And so this training, it's important. Like, I think, okay, Melinda went to school for years to be a nurse. I feel like this would be something that they probably have figured out. But because you don't use it every day, and it's something that's super, 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 super critical that you get it right, they make them be recertified and recertified and recertified every two years. It's like, oh, you're certificate. Now, it doesn't mean that if your certification is up, you can no longer use it. You can still do CPR, but it's important if you're going to work for somebody and you're going to be important or you're going to be an important part of a life-saving care that you're sharp. They want you sharp on this. We want to make sure that you know exactly what to do if someone stops breathing. The people who need CPR aren't capable 
of hooking themselves up to a breathing machine. Are they? So you got to have people, and some of them are lifeguards, some of them are safety officers, some of them are the people on job sites that just, they're like the bosses, the supervisors, and they got CPR training. So if somebody needs it, they're sort of equipped to handle it. This metaphor, I, I love this picture. As the body of Christ, it is not this gathering together in church on Sunday morning is like CPR training. It's a picture for us to think and to see. It's important that when we leave this building, we're a little bit more ready that if we see someone who's dead, we're ready. I know what to do. I know the steps. There's like, what is the, the, the song, Melinda, that you do? The uh, What is it? Staying Alive. I can't even think of how it goes right now. But there's a song. It's like, you got, it's an interesting, like, it's the name of the song and also it's the right, like, tempo for, it's kind of a, but you need to know, I'm ready to go. I know what to do, and I know what not to do. As believers, if this would be our CPR training, my intentions, our goal, Paul's intention in writing the book of Hebrews and all the other letters he wrote was so that we come together and we hone the craft of sharing the gospel. We know who we are in Christ. We're, we become rooted and grounded, built up in the word of God by the Holy Spirit through each other so that when we step out, we are more than ready to meet the dead that we encounter. That's a little offensive to talk about death. It's scriptural that when someone doesn't know Jesus, they're not alive. They may be physically alive, but they're spiritually dead. Are we equipped and are we more equipped at noon today or one, whenever we get out of here, than we were at 11? Do you see, does this make sense? It's not about entertainment. This isn't about like, well, I really hope you like the songs. Like, did they make you feel like happy inside? That's irrelevant. We want to glorify Jesus we want to edify each other and equip each other, not just by me talking. Sometimes it's out there. Most of, the, most of our equipping is out there. Now, I thought of this metaphor last week. I was speaking with Trey a little bit, and I thought about this is a, a, a way for me to kind of picture this in practice. Does anybody have a knife block at home where you take, you know, like all the knives in you, and then there's one in there that's really not effective for cutting? It's like, it's pointless. My brother and I used to sword fight. One of us had the steel, and one of us had the butcher knife. Now, the steel, it was like that one's, it was great for defense. It was not much of an offensive one. The steel is just a round piece, and it's, there's no, you're not going to cut anything. It's not sharp at all. But what it's used for is knocking the, the, the edges off of your knives. You ever see anybody, a, a butcher, they just, it's like, it's amazing. I love why, it's like a fluid motion. The knife's just, and what's happening is any of the, any of the notches or any chips or any tiny little irregularity on the blade, it comes off as you run the blade against the steel. This is as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That's how it's supposed to work, that we're equipping each other. We're knocking the edges off. We're helping each other to see. You ever hear about somebody, they get a word. Anybody ever come up to you and said, oh, I got a word for you? And you're kind of like, that's weird. I mean, that's uncomfortable. In the world, that's a strange thing. If you were just walk up to somebody and say, hey, I've got a word for you. But in the context of the body of Christ, that's where we build up trust and we trust each other that, that if Todd were to come up to me and he say, hey, I, I got a word for you, I got to trust him and say, I'm, I want to receive from you this word that you've got and maybe that'll help knock a sharp edge off or knock a dull edge off and help sharpen me. 
for a purpose. There's a purpose to this. It's not just, how many of you know the purpose of going to church isn't to feel better about ourselves? It's not about coming, it's like, man, I just want to feel great when I leave. Sometimes it's like, I got some things I need to maybe address. I've got some dull things, some areas where when I have coffee with somebody in the week, I hope that if they get a word that helps knock that edge off, that they have the courage to deliver it. That when we assemble together, we leave more equipped and ready to do the work of the ministry. Now, we're going to, that's the first point is to see that, that the point of us gathering is for equipping. After the resurrection, Jesus appeared to many of his followers in groups all around where he had ministered. Before he ascended, he left us with a commission. If you got your Bibles, you want to open up to Luke chapter 16. We're going to read a couple of chunks of scripture here in the Gospels. Luke chapter 16, verses 15 through 18. I'll give you a second to turn over there. Uh, Jesus gave us a very important commission. and A commissioning is like, this is now your position. This is now your, the task before you. Daunting as it may seem, you are now commissioned for this purpose. And he said to them, verse 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. Verse 18, they will take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, will by no means harm them. They will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Now, flip over, if you would, a book back, Matthew chapter 28. We're going to read verses 18 through 20. This is another instance, another recording of this similar conversation that Jesus had with his disciples. He said in verse 18, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, there's an understood urgency in the message of the gospel. If and only if we actually believe it. Because if you don't believe it, then there is no urgency. I'm, I'm talking like believe it down here in your gut. It's one thing to give mental assent. I believe in my head there could be an afterlife. And if there is an afterlife, there must be a creator. And if there is a creator, that creator could possibly be almighty. God. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about believe with conviction in your gut. If we believe the gospel with conviction, there is an understood urgency and that urgency compels us, doesn't it? It's like if you were in a building and the building was on fire, the alarms were going off, you saw the fire, you're breathing the smoke, and you know someone else is in there, it is your deep desire to get that person out because you know it's on fire. What did I say? Oh, I said Luke. I apologize. It was Mark. That was a, thank you, Melinda. Correction. Mark 16, 15 through 18. That may have been what was up, but it wasn't what I said. My bad. Thank you for that. 
It's important, though, that if you understand that the building is on fire and that there's someone in it, you believe the building is on fire because you've smelt the smoke, you've felt the heat, you know it's on fire, and so your desire is to run in and get them. Where, where I think a lot of us lose it, we get to that point with our faith where we, we believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've been saved, we understand, and we believe in our, with conviction the urgency of it, and then what happens is we get these little, little fiery darts of doubt. Maybe not doubt. Maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't doubt the gospel, but what I maybe do doubt is like, I'm not real sure I could answer everybody's question. I don't know that I could deliver the gospel. Like, how would, I don't have, like, I don't even know the Bible verses for all the things. So, I mean, I, I don't, I, I'm probably better off to just tell somebody to come to church. It's like, I don't, I don't, because what if I get it wrong? What if I don't, and we get, we get to where we think the issue arises when we think we have to understand every detail of the gospel before we represent it to the world around us. Now there's two points to this. Number one, it is important. Learn whatever details you can. Definitely spend time studying the word, but don't let your questions disqualify you. Don't let the things where it's like, I'm not sure, what if they ask me about transubstantiation? That's not a fair excuse to not share the gospel with someone. Like, we don't, well, what if they ask me about how is the Trinity possible? You don't have to answer that. You don't have to have every answer to share the gospel with somebody. And we get in our head, we think, ah, before I present this to anybody, I have to understand every last specific detail now, I thought of a couple of people, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm going to pick on Joel a little bit. So, Joel does a general contractor's, that's his role, and I'll probably get it wrong, but he, he manages all kinds of details for construction projects. And I'll, I'll ask you this, it's a rhetorical question, and we all know the answer. Do you, before you ever meet with somebody, I want to build a new house, before you ever meet with me about building a new house, do you have to understand the chemistry of concrete? Absolutely not. He knows it works. I don't need to understand the chemistry. Now, do you have to understand how a diesel engine works that's in a semi delivering trusses to the job site? Nope. In fact, I dare say he may not understand every detail of how a truss factory operates. Maybe he does. I don't want to. I, I, there's details that we don't have. You don't have every answer to every question, but that doesn't mean I'm very confident to talk to you about building a house, even though I don't know the chemistry of concrete, even though I may not understand exactly. You know, your trusses may come, uh, they might come from an electric powered semi, they might come from a diesel powered semi, they might come on a train, and then uh, who knows? It's irrelevant. He understands the principle of building a house and enough details that he can walk somebody through it. This is a picture of us as believers. We don't have to have every detail figured out. We don't have to have every detail figured out. Now, this is important. We're going to kind of keep shifting here. Hopefully everybody's staying with me. And you know, everybody, what season are we in? Anybody want to shout out what season we're in? Spring, winter, I hear, Jerry. It's kind of felt a little bit sometimes. It's spring. We're in spring. And how many of you know, I can't hardly get through spring without one chapter of the Bible. And a few of you might know what it is. Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Now, we're not starting an 11-week series on the sower sowing the seed, but I want to talk about a detail of this. 
So if you got your Bibles, you can turn over to Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. This all fits together with what we're talking about this morning. The purpose of the church, the purpose of us gathering together with each other is to equip each other to do the work of the ministry. For those of you who are looking, hopefully you found it. Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 9 reads, And again he, Jesus, began to teach by the sea. And a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. The whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. And he taught them many things by parables. And he said to them in his teaching, verse 3, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on the stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. When the sun was up and it was scorched because it had no root, it withered away. Verse 7, And some seed fell upon the thorns. The thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no crop. But other seed fell on the good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up and increased and produced some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 3 of Mark chapter 4 is the only verse we're going to preach on this morning. Verse 3 reads, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. This is a simple verse. That's a very simple verse. The sower takes the the seed to the field. He does not bring the field to the seed. Now today, it's springtime. I love springtime. It's one of my four favorite seasons. I legitimately, I'm one of those crazy nuts. I love whatever season I'm in the most. In the wintertime, I love it when it snows and it's cold and I like pushing snow. I like playing and I like thawing out waters. That gets old after a while. But I like springtime. I like every detail. I like summer. I like being hot and sweaty and working. And I like the fall when it starts to cool off. I love every season. And whatever one I'm in is my favorite. So right now, my favorite season is spring. And I love this passage because there's, there's so much. We're going to look at it in a couple of weeks. We're going to get back to the children of Israel and, and some spring things that happen with them. But this morning, I love, I love the story of the sower and the details of the sower taking the seed to the field. Now, I had some conversations this week with people about this principle and the ridiculousness of my, my antithesis of bringing the field to the seed. Now, today, in agriculture, row crop agriculture, in any kind of agriculture, but I'm thinking specifically row crop because that's what I'm involved in, there's a tremendous amount of effort and technology involved in getting the seed to the field. Seeds are first harvested. The seeds that you're going to plant, that I'm going to plant, I got in bags in my shop, they're first harvested, and then they're dried. Dried down to just the perfect moisture. And then they're sorted, graded. Certain grades of seed is only one. Then they're, treat, they're cleaned and sorted. And then they're treated. There's a treatment added. And then they're bagged and packaged. Then they're trucked to the seed dealer. And then they're trucked from the seed dealer to the farmer. And then the farmer takes the seed and either puts them on a pallet in the back of his truck or puts them in a seed tender. And then they go into the planter. You think, okay, now we're done. No, we're not. We're not done yet. 
So then they go from the planter, they're delivered from the bulk part into a meter. The meter, from the meter, they travel to the soil where they're placed with the utmost care and accuracy that we can humanly manage. They're covered with just the right amount of dirt, a little bit of pressure, and then we all go on vacation. That's not entirely true. There's a few more things after that, before vacation. But that's the principle. We plant the seeds in the ground very meticulously, very carefully, and then we trust. And later in Mark 4, Jesus talks about this, where the farmer sleeps night and day, he rises, and he doesn't know how, but the seed grows. We still don't really know how. Now, there's seed scientists that would try to tell you they know how, and yet we've never made one that works. We, don't, we, we understand it. No, we don't. We understand aspects of it, but it is amazing. The Lord is the only one who can create a seed that will re- reproduce after its own kind. But what I want to look at here, the part that I want to draw on, is there is so much that goes in to a little kernel of seed corn from when the plant was originally planted to when I'm ready to plant the next one. We have applied billions and billions of dollars in agricultural technology over the last 200 years to get to the point where what we see around us going on, what would have been going on this week if it hadn't rained soon, what we see going on around us is not an overnight thing. It is tremendous the amount of technology that's involved in this. What's interesting, do you know what you'd never see? Is a farmer buy a piece of dirt, buy an excavator, a bunch of haul trucks, a dozer, a loader, and he starts hauling the dirt out of the field. We see that once in a while. Usually they're digging a pond or building a house. But I'm talking the whole field. They're just, just load after load after load of dirt. And then you see their buildings, their shop site, and you see this pile of dirt. Like, what is going on? It's like this guy's first go around. And he's convinced, I bought the seed. I set the seed at the farm. And then I piled the dirt all over the seed. And nothing happens. Now it's preposterous. And you all are looking at me with proper looks. That's ridiculous. That's absurd because we understand it's more practical to take the seed and put it in the field than it is to take the field and put it on the seed. We understand this in agriculture, don't we? We understand this. Everybody gets this like, yes, no one's doing that. That's a simple, yes, we understand that. And yet in the church, is this not how we tend to function? We've got the seed. We'll keep our seed in the church. We'll put our seed, all the Bibles, we're going to keep the Bibles in the church. We're going to keep the sermons in the church. And we're going to try and get the field to come to the church. Let's get the dirt to come to the church. Let's get the dirt. We'll get everybody that has soil. We'll just try and get them here. And then we'll try and get some seed on them. It's never going to grow that way. The most effective way to sow the gospel in our communities is for us as sowers to go to the field. Listen, behold, which means listen up and look. Like, behold, we've undersold behold in our culture today. Behold is a big deal. It means, like, stop and look. Look at that. Oh, my goodness. We say that, right? When, you, when we're actually beholding something, there's usually an expression that comes. Oh, my. That's what he's saying. Listen, a sower went out to sow. 
My encouragement, my exhortation, my thing that I just heavy on my heart this morning is that we understand the purpose of this gathering is so that we are more ready to go out and sow than we were last week. To go share the gospel if we believe it. If we believe that if you believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you can be saved forever. There is no problem in this life that lasts forever, church. There's not one. There's not one hardship. There's not one dictatorship. There's not one abusive person. There's not one tyrannical leader. There's no problems in this life. There's no famine that lasts forever. You know what does last forever? Relationship with Jesus. The magnitude of this gospel transcends the worst of the worst and the best of the best. There is nothing that holds a candle to the gospel. And we need to be equipped, equipping each other, because there's little things that each of you hear and each of you see. The Holy Spirit on the inside of you, as you're reading through the word, quickens something on you. It's like, I should share this with somebody. No, I don't want to bother them. That couldn't be the Holy Spirit saying, they need that right, that right now. Let's equip each other. I got a couple of pictures I want, you to, I want to show you with regards to uh, the technology that's involved and things. These are, these are things that I want to be a picture today, but a picture that as we go through the spring season reminds us of this. You want to bring the first one up? So this is the first one. This is a tractor and a planter going down the road. Interestingly enough, this is not a tractor and a haul trailer hauling dirt to the field. This is a planter headed out to the field. There's a lot of dollars right there in that picture. And there's a lot of technology. A lot of technology and a lot of dollars. So I want to encourage us, you're going to see this. Not tomorrow <laughs> and probably not the next day, but soon you'll start seeing this. Every time you get out, it's like, I'm running a few minutes late and you're driving down the road and then there's a tractor and a planter in front of you. And the temptation is to be irritated. But I want to, I want to encourage each of us, as we encounter this going down the road, stop for a second and remember, wait, that's me. Ah, oh, that's me. I'm the planner, and I'm headed to the field right now. You want to bring up the next picture? Jody, please. This is a tractor and a planner in the field. Now, there's a lot of dollars and a lot of technology involved in that picture also. And you're also going to see this. You might even see this because, so tractors are getting faster and faster, so we don't see them on the road quite like we maybe used to when they would go like 14 mile an hour. So you will for sure be seeing this. And as you see this picture, as you see this image, I want you to stop and think, I'm carrying seed. Am I ready? Am I calibrated? Am I equipped to go and do the work of the ministry? These are just reminders. This isn't anything rocket science. You've seen these pictures. You've seen these things, these tractors, planters. You've seen them all over. Tractors pulling fitting tools and putting on fertilizer and every other thing. But oftentimes we just see them as like, that's great, somebody farms. Maybe you're a part of the farming operation. That's great that we have this equipment. But we don't often connect this to our walk with Jesus and our walk in the world. This is what it's all about. It's right there. Right there. Applying seed to the field. That's not rocket science. Listen, behold, the sower went out to sow. You could take the picture down. In agriculture, we understand that it's the seed that goes to the field and not the field that comes to the seed. For some reason in Christianity, we tend towards the latter. 
So, uh, what, if we just, what if we just convinced everybody that we know that doesn't know Jesus, or maybe we don't know if they know Jesus, instead of actually talking to them about faith, instead of asking questions and being willing to plant seeds, what if we just found like a church with a preacher and then they could do it? That seems, except that's not what this is for. That's not what this is for. Now, that's not to say we're never going to share the gospel from the pulpit because that's part of, we're honing that. Now, another principle is a, in, a, in a machine shop, you'll often find what's called a hone. In a hone, it doesn't take much material off. It goes around and around and around on the inside bore of something. And it just takes, I mean, tiny, tiny amounts of material off, just making it perfect, making it perfect. High spots, taking the high spots off, just honing it, sharpening it, making it equipped to do the job of whatever that cylinder is for, whether it's a cylinder in an engine or a hydraulic cylinder, whatever that inside diameter is for. When the inside diameter of something is very important, oftentimes we run a hone in it so that it's not just close. It's not just, that's eh, pretty good. It's perfect. That's what Paul was talking about in Ephesians chapter 4 is that that's, we're honing each other. Until to a man, we understand, to an individual, we understand and we are equipped. And we actually get to the point where we become interchangeable with one another. Whoa. And what I mean by that is that I know that if I talk to somebody and they're like, well, I've spoken with somebody, so-and-so, anybody from our church. They shared with me a little bit of the gospel. That I know because of a honing that has went on as a body of Christ I know what that person shared with them because we're on the same page. We become interchangeable in this gospel message. It's not like, well, I don't know, I don't know what Chris told you, but I, I'll straighten you out because I, I, I don't know what he told. Where if Chris and I are in communication and we're speaking regularly and we're honing, we're letting the word of God and the spirit of the Lord hone us, I know, I know what Chris said. I'm confident in the words that he spoke, and I can pick up where he left off. Another example of this, this is the last metaphor we're going to look at possibly today. In the military, and I'm, I, I enjoy, like I've never, I didn't ever serve in the military, but I enjoy military history, I enjoy military training, I enjoy, I just, I'm, I'm very I'm intrigued by it, I'm blessed by it, I'm thankful for those that have served. And I think about the way the military trains, the most elite of the most elite, the best of the best of the best of the best, they train and they train and they train and they train and then they train some more and they train some more and they train in every different job. Now there's specialties within them, but there's this whole bunch of their uh, abilities and their skills that they're all identical. They train in language. They train so that if a certain word always means the same thing, that's why we have standards, so that if someone is in contact with the enemy in a battle, and someone falls, and another person from another unit steps into that position, it's like, well, what do you guys say when you're ready to charge? I don't want to say the wrong thing. What do you say when you're out of ammunition? They've, we've made this standard. We've standardized speech, standardized words, commands, instructions, and skills so that people become interchangeable, so that people can drop into a unit and serve effectively this is, we can standard, and I'm not talking, with like, you think, okay, this is starting to sound like boot camp. This is a little weird. No, I'm talking about us 
taking the same level of intensity and actually greater because how many of you know the victory or defeat of a military unit is far less than the gospel going forth? Because we just talked about the gospel is for eternity. There's no human conflict has ever lasted eternity and never will. There's an urgency to this. And it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Like, don't, don't, oh boy, this feels heavy. No, this is supposed to feel alive. I'm excited about this, guys. We, we're going out into the world. We're in the spring season. You're going to see all this farm equipment all over the place. And man, it is my passion that we understand we're that. Like, we are that. We are going out to whatever fields that we particularly are responsible for sowing. Let us go out with confidence. When we consider the commission that Jesus gave, we read through the two passages in Mark, uh, Mark and Matthew, where both of those, Jesus' instruction is not gather together and then send out a bunch of invitations. Is it? Everyone, go, go, go. It's not about come ye into all the churches. We can all be alike. Come into all, no, it's, Let's go. Let's get ready to go. Let's hone. Let's sharpen. Let's practice. Let's hear from the Holy Spirit. Spend time in the Word of God and allow the Spirit of God and the Word of God to hone and shape through each other so that we're equipped and ready to do the work of the ministry. Paul said our gifts were given to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Jesus said we're to go into all the world to make disciples. And in Mark 4, we just looked at the sower goes out to sow. As we travel through our communities this spring, I hope every time you're stuck behind a farmer or you need to edge over to allow one to pass, that you're reminded of our commission. Do you understand the vast amount of input that goes into planting that seed. That's our call. That's our call, church, to do that, to be that. And you know, some of you might be still thinking, that's fine, and that's great that you're excited about this, uh, but I don't know what I would say. So I might just, I might just hang back that's a real concern. Like, I understand that. that's a real, like, what am I going to say to somebody? And the Bible reminds us that the Spirit of God will bring to mind the things that you need to say. He said, I'll, I'll, don't worry about what you're going to say when you're before the magistrates, when you're before somebody sharing the gospel. Don't panic. It's not to say don't put any concern or thought into it. It's not, Paul's not saying, well, don't worry about reading the Bible, the Holy Spirit. No, read the Bible. Get the seed in the hopper. Get it ready to roll. But then don't panic about which, one, which seed should I plant first. It's like a corn planter. Get the meter turning. Get the seeds on the disc and start driving. Don't be filled with fear. We weren't given a spirit of fear. We were given a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. And the love of God, the love of Christ, is what compels us to share, it, to share this gospel. It's what takes a hold of us and says, go! This is good news. 
It's good news to know that we have been entrusted as ambassadors with this. We've been entrusted to represent. The seed was sown. If you're here today and you're born again, the seed of God was sown in your heart. The seed of the gospel was sown into your heart and it grew. And now you have been entrusted with more seeds. You've been given the word of God. The seed, the word of God will not go forth and come back void. It has produced a harvest. There are seeds that you and I have to plant. You've been entrusted with them. They're the best, most valuable seeds on planet earth. Go plant them. And don't don't be filled with fear. Choose to walk with boldness. If you would, stand with me this morning. I'd like to dismiss us with a declaration. This is exciting. I love springtime. There's something about when you drive by something that's been, ground that's been fit, there's a smell, there's an energy that comes off of it. I'm excited about spring. Not only is spring, obviously planting crops, but I'm excited about the spring, the energy that comes in the body of Christ. This morning we declare that we are the righteousness of God created in Christ Jesus. We are thankful for the gift of life and the promise of the resurrection. Compelled by this gift and this promise, we choose to carry the gospel of Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, into our worlds. We declare that by the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the word of God, we are equipped to share this gospel. Thank you, Jesus. We understand that this world isn't fixed yet. We're sure to encounter resistance, but we hold fast to the promise. The Apostle John revealed that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. With this mind, we step out with the boldness of a lion. Bow with me if you would. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for today. Father, I thank you for each person that's in the sound, within the sound of my voice in this room, anybody listening online. Father, I just pray a blessing over them. The blessing of Abraham would cover over this body. Father, I thank you so much for the blood of Jesus, this new covenant that we get to be participators and, and that we benefit from. Father, I thank you so much that you have made us right with you. You did what no man could do, that you breathed life into our dead bones so that we can declare that we are the righteousness of God created in Christ Jesus. Father, I pray an urgency over this body, not an anxiety, but an urgency, Lord, a positive, excited urgency that we will carry the gospel into this world. Father, I believe with everything inside me that revival is upon us and our community and our country and our world that the people are seeking for absolutes, In a world filled with uncertainty, we're looking for something that is certain. We thank you so much that ultimate certainty has been given to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Father, I just pray a blessing over this body, courage over us as we go from this place. The love of Jesus would flow, and in his name we pray, amen.